Hi, my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 87, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Judges 6 through 12 and Psalm 130. I probably should have said this yesterday, but just a reminder, the book of Judges has adult themes in it, particularly some gruesome violent scenes, so just be forewarned. Judges 6, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, 
Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerah Baal that day, saying, Let Baal contend with him. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next morning. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Early in the morning, Jerobaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now, announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, with 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as dogs lap from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the three hundred, who took out the provision and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. 
During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Peru, Perah, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Perah, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern people who settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camel could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and came out. Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the three hundred men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hand of all of them, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpet and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hand the trumpets they were Blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held this position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah toward Zerera, as far as the border of Abel Hamola near Tabath. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messages throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them, as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They all captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They called Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, Why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they challenged him vigorously. But he answered them, What I have accomplished compared to you. Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grape better than the full grape harvest of Abizer? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? At this, the resentment against him subsided. Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. He said to the men of Sukkoth, Give my troops some bread. They are worn out, and I am still pursuing Zebin, Zabah, and Zelmunah, the king of Midian. But the officials of Sukkoth said, Do you really have hands of Zabah and Zalmunah in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? Then Gideon replied, Just for that, when the Lord has given Zabah and Zalmunah into my hand, I will tear your flesh from the desert thorns and briars. From there he went up to Penel and made the same request of them, but they answered as the men of Sukkoth had. So he said to the men of Penel, When I return in triumph, I will tear down this tower." Now Zabah and Zalmunah were in Korkar, with a force of about 15,000 men, all that were left of the armies of the eastern peoples. 120,000 swordsmen had fallen. Gideon went up to the route of the nomads east of Zobah and Jogbeha, 
and attacked the unsuspecting Arby. Zeba and Zalmunna, the two kings of Midian, fled, but he pursued them and captured them, routing their entire army. Gideon, son of Joash, then returned from the battle by the pass of Herez. He caught a young man of Sukkoth and questioned him, and the young man wrote down for him the names of the seventy-seven officials of Sukkoth, the elders of the town. Then Gideon came and said to the men of Sukkoth, Here are Zeba and Zalmunna, about whom you taunted me by saying, Do you already have the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna in your possession? Why should we give bread to your exhausted men? He took the elders of the town and taught the men of Sukkoth a lesson by punishing them with desert thorns and briars. He also pulled down the tower of Peniel and killed the men of the town. Then he asked Zabah and Zalmunna, What kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Men like you, they answered, each one with the bearing of a prince. Gideon replied, Those were my brothers, the sons of my own mother. As surely as the Lord lives, if you have spared their lives, I would not kill you. Turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, kill them. But Jether did not draw his sword because he was only a boy and was afraid. Jabba and Zalmunna said, come, do it yourself. As is the man, so is his strength. So Gideon stepped forward and killed them and took the ornaments off their camel's necks. The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, We'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment, and each of them threw a ring from his plunder onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camels' necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there and became a snare to Gideon and his family. Thus, Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land had peace 40 years. Jerubbaal, son of Joash, went back home to live. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. His concubines, who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son, whom he named Abimelech. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash and Ophrah of the Abizarites. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal Bereth as their god and did not remember the Lord their god who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. They also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, in spite of all the good things he had done for them. Abimelech, son of Jerubbaal, went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them and to all his mother's clan, Ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you, to have all seventy of Jerubbaal's sons rule over you or just one man. Remember, I am your flesh and blood. When the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is related to us. They gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Bereth, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal. Both Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered beside the great tree of the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king." 
When Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on the top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree answered, Should I give up my oil, by which both gods and humans are honored, to hold sway over the trees? Next, the tree said to the fig tree, Come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, Should I give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans, to hold sway over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the thornbush, Come and be our king. The thornbush said to the trees, If you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thornbush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Have you acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech king? Have you been fair to Jerubbaal and his family? Have you treated him as he deserves? Remember that my father fought for you and risked his life to rescue you from the hand of Midian. But today you have revolted against my father's family. You have murdered his 70 sons on a single stone and have made Abimelech, the son of his female slave, king over the citizens of Shechem, because he is related to you. So have you acted honorably and in good faith towards Jerubbaal and his family today? If you have, may Abimelech be your joy and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham fled, escaped to Beer, and he lived there because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. After Abimelech had governed Israel three years, God stirred up animosity between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem so that they acted treacherously against Abimelech. God did this in order that the crime against Jerubbaal's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem, who had helped him murder his brothers. In opposition to him, these citizens of Shechem set men on the hilltops to ambush and rob everyone who passed by, and this was reported to Abimelech. Now, Gaal, son of Abed, moved with his clan into Shechem, and its citizens put their confidence in him. After they had gone out into the fields and gathered the grapes and trotted them, they held a festival in the temple of their god. While they were eating and drinking, they cursed Abimelech. Then Gaal, son of Abed, said, Who is Abimelech, and why should we Shechems be subject to him? Isn't he Jerubbaal's son, and isn't Zebul his deputy? Serve the family of Hamor, Shechem's father. Why should we serve Abimelech? If only this people were under my command, then I would get rid of him. I would say to Abimelech, call out your whole army. When Zebul, the governor of the city, heard what Gaal, son of Abed, said, he was very angry. Under cover, he sent messengers to Abimelech, saying, Gaal, son of Abed, and his clan have come to Shechem and are stirring up the city against you. Now then, during the night, you and your men should come and lie in wait in the fields. In the morning at sunrise, advance against the city. When Gaal and his men came out against you, seize the opportunity to attack them. So Abimelech and all his troops set out by night and took up concealed positions near Shechem in four companies. Now Gaal, son of Abed, had gone out and was standing at the entrance of the city gate just as Abimelech and his troops came out from their hiding place. When Gaal saw them, he said to Zebul, "'Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains.' Zebul replied, You mistake the shadows of the mountains for men. But Gael spoke up again, Look, people are coming down from the central hill, and a company is coming from the direction of the diviner's tree. 
Then Zebul said to him, Where is your big talk now? You who said, Who is Abimelech that we should be subject to him? Aren't these the men you ridiculed? Go out and fight them. So Gael led out the citizens of Shechem and fought Abimelech. Abimelech chased him all the way to the entrance of the gate, and many were killed as they fled. Then Abimelech stayed in Aruma, and Zebul drove Gael and his clan out of Shechem. The next day, the people of Shechem went out to the fields, and this was reported to Abimelech. So he took his men, divided them into three companies, and set an ambush in the fields. When he saw the people coming out of the city, he rose to attack them. Abimelech and the companies with him rushed forward to a position at the entrance of the city gate. Then two companies attacked those in fields and struck them down. All that day, Abimelech pressed his attack against the city until he had captured it and killed its people. Then he destroyed the city and scattered salt over it. On hearing this, the citizens in the town of Shechem went into the stronghold of the temple of El-Bereth. When Abimelech heard that they had assembled there, he and all his men went up Mount Zalman. He took an axe and cut off some branches, which he lifted to his shoulders. He ordered the men with him, quick, do what you have seen me do. So all the men cut branches and followed Abimelech. They piled them against the stronghold and set it on fire with the people still inside. So all the people in the town of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. Next, Abimelech went to Thebes and besieged it and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower, to which all the men and women, all the people of the city, had fled. They had locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Hurriedly, he called to his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me so that they can't say a woman killed him. So his servant ran him through and he died. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Thus, God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Jerubbaal, came on them. Psalm 130 Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I remember when I was a kid learning about Gideon, and I'm not sure if it was me or how they were taught to me, maybe both, but I remember my takeaway was that people like Gideon, and we're going to later be talking about Samson in a day or two, thinking of them or them being presented to me as Christian heroes or role models of sorts, like good leaders. And this seems so wrong to me now, and I'm hoping I can tell the story a bit more clearly to my six and nine-year-old without the gruesome details, of course, for now. But as we read today, the judges in the story in the book of Judges seem to go, as Dr. Mackey describes, started in the first you know, five chapters as pretty good to, okay, Gideon had moments, and then Wow, some not so great ones. And then it's just only going to go from bad to worse, as he describes. We're not even at the worst yet. That will be the story of Samson, but there's even more before that. 
So as a reminder, this story falls on the heels of the story of Joshua. It's another generation of the Israelites, but this generation has totally forgotten the story and Yahweh God. They have integrated into their neighboring Canaanite ways of worshiping other gods in morally depraved ways, including child sacrifice. And when God calls his people to be in the world to bless the world, but not of it, Remembering and obeying God's commands are critically important. If you're going to be in the mix of a mess, you have to stay focused and remember the story, right? But then, then in their suffering and distress, they do remember, but it felt feels like when you're reading it, like calling out to God is an absolute last resort. And what does God do even then? He delivers his people. He delivers them. And this starts a cycle of rebellion all over again, where the people sin grievously against God. They become oppressed by their adversaries. They repent. They are delivered. And then they find rest. Then it happens all over again. The first few judges God raised up to deliver Israel seem aligned with what we've seen in the pattern of leaders to be a pretty good thing, like Joshua and Moses. We're introduced to Deborah, the second woman to be named a prophet in the whole Bible so far. She's described as a rescuer and military aid to Israel, which echoes back to Genesis 2, where Eve was described as as Adam's ezer, which is Hebrew for rescuer, ally, the one who can help. Yet, the cycle of rebellion and God's faithful deliverance continues, but as we read, the representative leaders of God are getting progressively worse. Even in the story of Gideon, you see these signs when, you know, he'll say things like, you know, that this army is one in the name of the Lord, but also, you know, in the name of Gideon. And you think back, hmm, that doesn't sound quite right because God even told Abraham that God will be the one that makes a name for Abraham. Abraham isn't going to make the name for himself. So this is just confusing. It's convoluted. Not so great. The story next time is going to have a few more people that will be just even more worse, worse illustrations of representative uh, judges for Yahweh God. But he's still faithful in delivering despite the fallenness. And as both Dr. Mackey and Marty Solomon describe, ultimately we'll conclude with Samson, who will be the worst example of a judge. And so Gideon, who Dr. Mackey describes as a coward, who partly does what God wants, but then murders Israelites and builds an idol Um, yikes. I'm not sure about you, but like I said before, I find it surprising that even though I went to Christian schools and churches from the age of probably like 5 to 22, I was not taught about the first three judges, including Deborah, who was pretty good at representative leadership. But instead, I was taught about Gideon, but only the first part of Gideon and not the second. And I was taught something, you know, convoluted a bit about Samson. And I hope churches and Christian schools are remedying this now, or they already have, or at least parents, because there's an important and larger story going on in Judges. It's really a story about God and his faithfulness despite these cycles of rebellion. And it needs to be told there's so much more meaning and powerfulness to the, in all capitals, story of the Bible because it's really about him and also about, you know, how, how patient he is. We'll get there in a second. 
In Judges, as I mentioned, there's this cycle happening where the people of Israel sin by worshiping other gods. They become oppressed by their enemies. They seek repentance. They're delivered by a judge. They experience rest, and then they drift back into sin. Hence, we end the story with Abimelech. If you notice, each judge, along with the people of Israel, do not remain faithful and seem to be getting progressively more chaotic and disordered from what God created, intended, and developed commandments about. Yet the bigger theme emerging from the story, God has endless patience for those who are earnestly seeking to follow him. For me, that's the central point of Judges. Marty Solomon said, God's patience and love is more bottomless than the fries at Red Robin, which I thought was funny since working at Red Robin was one of my first jobs in high school, and it helped me to earn income and gain basic and wonderfully useful business and marketing experience through college. But God is patient in cycles of rebellion, and Marty Solomon describes this as something different than someone choosing to be an adversary of God, which is to know his missional purpose and choose to become the anti-story. This is, unfortunately, where the people of Israel are headed, and God is ultimately going to have to create a new strategy to deliver on his promises, despite the fact that these cycles of rebellion, in a way, end up in a place where the people are essentially choosing to be adversaries and part of the anti-story. Oh, so more on that later, but the thing that I hold on to is the faithfulness and the patience and the mercy and the love of God when we cry out to him and even when we keep making the same mistakes. He is faithful to deliver, to deliver, and we have to respond by remembering, obeying, and safeguarding against the drift. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.